Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Bible Talk. This is Pastor Andrew, welcoming you back for another uh, iteration of Dr. Brad Stevenson's Bible Talk. Again, I'm your host for the next couple weeks. Glad to be back. Looking forward to it. And um, want to give you an update with Pastor Brad and what's going on there. But also just wanted to get into God's Word and hopefully provide a word of exhortation and encouragement for you as we seek Christ together as the body of Christ. Before we start, let's pray and uh, we'll get right back at it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. Lord, thank you that we get to uh, use and utilize technology Lord, in a way that we can have a lesson on God's word, uh, record it, produce it, and and hopefully that the truth of your word will go out and encourage others, Lord. May this time be a time to glorify you. We thank you, Jesus, for being alive, for ministering, for um, just being our high priest even at this time. Lord, we love you. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So a uh, quick brief update with um, Pastor Brad. Uh, I was at his house yesterday. Praise the Lord, he is home. And so he actually looked very well uh, walking around, got to spend some time with him. Um, he was um, as much Pastor Brad as he's ever been, just very um, with it and had some great dialogue, conversation. So um, the actual recovery from the surgery for the kidney removal is going phenomenally well. Um, his body is healing well. Uh, it's going very well. The results as far as um, the test results for the kidney, I, I haven't heard any results back yet. I don't know where that stands. But again, the doctor was confident that they had removed um, and that the, well, he was confident that they removed the kidney. That's good, right? But that the cancer was contained to the kidney. So that would be a massive blessing and praise. So um, he is resting well. Um, in his time at the hospital, there was a development of a level of AFib with his heart. And so uh, his levels have gotten to a place where they uh, thought it's safe that he could go home. So I, I think the stress and just all of the transition in the hospital, all of it complicated and multiplied and, and the stress levels probably didn't help with the, with the AFib and the heart. But him being back home is a good thing. And uh, so keep praying and, and uh, thank you for... Um, your love for our pastor, and uh, he definitely feels it and is thankful. So with that being said, we're going to be in the church of Smyrna. Pastor Juan preached on it on Sunday, did a great job pointing us back to Jesus and um, our motives and our desires for Jesus and that we're rich in Christ. As I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to target during this time um, the introduction and, and the ending. And so we will... Um, be focusing on the introduction as Jesus describes himself, speaking to that, and also the closing. So if you have your Bibles, again, we're in Revelation 2. We're in the church of Sardis. I'm sorry, Smyrna. Forgive me. We're in the church of Smyrna. That was a pretty cool little uh, connection that Pastor Juan brought up as far as how New Smyrna, and uh, I guess was developed or at least initially um, kind of, I don't know, colonized by... Turnbull. Uh, there's, I know there's Turnbull Bay. There's, I think, Turnbull Road in New Smyrna. So the references are there, but he named it um, for his wife, Smyrna, New Smyrna, because she was from the original Smyrna. So kind of a cool little connection. I, I never knew that. And so that was, uh, that was cool to hear. And, and uh, I don't know if the old Smyrna is the shark bite capital of the world, but the new New Smyrna, 
I know going to the beach, it's always a conversation that my wife and I have. So um, I wonder what other similarities they might have uh, amongst each other. So all that to say, we're in verses 8 through 11. I'll read the entire passage. But then again, we're going to be focusing on the introduction and then also in the closing. And so it says, And to the angel of the church of in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life say this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blaspheme by those um, who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so, again, we have a letter uh, to a church by Jesus. Um, this obviously to the church of Smyrna. And um, as said the first week, two of the seven churches, they don't ever receive a rebuke or a call for repentance. And Smyrna is one of those churches. And so we see a church that is under um, persecution, under tribulation. Um, there's always that interesting little part of the synagogue of Satan. What does that mean? Um, there's obviously a Jewish connection there because he talks about how they say they are Jews but are not but then he uses the word synagogue which is a very Jewish word and terminology and imagery um, but he tells them not to fear and what's interesting is that the devil's about to cast them into prison and in our own context if we for our faith was thrown into prison I think we would be much more apt to point at the government that forced us into prison than Satan who's behind it. And so I just always, um, it's always good to remember that while we might focus on what we see and the external, the enemy is behind the scenes and working. You know, our fight and our war is not against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities, powers. And we know this, but so often we get in fear of what we can see in the person. Um, seeing that the person seems to be uncontrollable. Like we can't control the government. We can't control the person. Um, what's great is that when we think of it as the enemy, as Satan, Jesus has all authority even over Satan. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, after the third temptation, he replies with scripture, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's what scripture says. But he tells Satan to get away from me. And guess what Satan does? He gets away from him. And so Understand that in the authority of Christ, Christ has the authority not just over, over um, our bodies, over our salvation, over forgiveness. He also has authority over the enemy. And we know in Job that the enemy has, that God, for whatever reason, gives um, a level of authority and access for the enemy to his people. It's not always the most comforting thing to, to recognize, but there's always a reason. Um, as I said a couple, you know, I don't know if it was two weeks ago or last week, you know, that's that second Corinthians 12, you know, that God allowed a messenger from Satan to come and to, and to torment him. And, um, but it was to make Paul humble. And so here's my admonition is 
Don't let the frustration or worries or fears of this world, don't let the enemy's version of that win out. It might not change what happens, but the other side of it is God's got a way and a purpose that provides redemption and, and Christ-likeness in us through it. And so each tribulation is not an absence of God. It's actually an opportunity to have more of Christ. And so we see that for the church in Smyrna. So as we look at verse 8, it says, To the angel or messenger, as I said last week, of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. And so Pastor Juan talked about the, the motto of the church of Smyrna being the first and how even how Jesus is described here as a reflection of a mantra that would have been understood for the church in Smyrna in the culture. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm the first. And I'm only, not only am I the first, I'm also the last. And not only was I, was I dead, but now I'm alive. And this terminology is extremely powerful, and Pastor Brad preached on it a couple of weeks ago, because it points to the deity of Jesus. And in our context, we, for many of us, we've grown up in an evangelical worldview. We've grown up in church. We've been around it. Understand that the deity of Jesus is a, is a big, big, big deal, not just because the Bible says so, Historically, in the church's history, it's a big deal. In other different cults and, and belief systems that are even prevalent in our culture, the deity of Jesus is what is at stake. And so as Jesus is describing himself as the first and the last, I wanted to focus briefly today that the deity of Jesus, we can't miss on it. And you might be like, well, I don't miss on it. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal because maybe we just are around it all the time, but for most of the world, Jesus being God is the linchpin. Many people believe that there's a God. Now they might have their own version, they might have their own form, they might believe in many gods, but it's the person of Jesus that really is for, for most, well, I just can't believe that Jesus is God. And so let's take a couple seconds just to reiterate just different parts in the scripture that reflect Jesus's deity. In Isaiah 9, it talks about how the Messiah will come and they have a description of wonderful counselor, uh, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But as I just said it quickly, one of the terminologies is mighty God. And even in the Old Testament, we see this um, illusion or even subtle attempt to point that the Messiah is not just the Messiah, but he's also the son of God, equal with God, God in the flesh. And that's a massive deal because when Jesus came, one of the things that they were disputing was, well, who is your father and where did you come from? We see it in John, the, the gospel of John all the time. In John chapter eight, they had this argument. Well, who is your father? You know, do you even know? Almost throwing some mud or slinging mud at Jesus. Like, um, we know J uh, Joseph is your father, but we also know your mom got pregnant before they're even married. Is Joseph even your father? Like, who is your father? And so they're questioning it. Jesus 
goes back in John multitude of times. He talked about how Moses wrote about him before Abraham was, I am. He references himself to uh, as the I am seven times in the book of John. He talks about his deity. I am this. I am the I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the the bread of life. I am the vine. There's seven more than seven really, but seven distinct times that he talks about I am when he's arrested um in the garden and they say well we're looking for Jesus and he says I am and what do they do they fall down why do they fall down not because of a stiff breeze pushed through they fell down because of they recognized what he was saying Jesus was testifying to himself being God in the flesh, which is a massive, massive deal. Last uh, example, it's a great example, is um, at least in the book of John. In the last chapter of John, or not the last chapter, the chapter before, we see Thomas. We know the story of, of Thomas doubting um, that Jesus had resurrected. And when Jesus uh, appears to him and Thomas touches the holes Thomas falls down in, in worship and says, my Lord and my God. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. Don't say that about me. Don't only say that about God. Jesus receives it because Jesus is God, God in the flesh. And that's a massive, massive deal. And it should illuminate our understanding of Jesus because I think there's a level of frustration that can be for the believer. Like, God, if we just knew what you wanted, if we just understood what you thought about things, if we just could hear a little bit more. And he's the whole time just pointing. He says, look at, look at my son, Jesus in the flesh. This is me. And so I've found in my own life, um, when I become, when I become, um, I wouldn't say frustrated, but when I kind of have that hunger, like, God, what, what, what do you want? Like, what do you, what does this look like? I find in my spirit an urge to just go and read about Jesus. And I find that as I pray, as I seek in the spirit, what God wants, and as I read about what Jesus has done and what, how he responded in his heart, so many times I walk away completely ministered to by the word, by Jesus, by the spirit. And I'm able to walk proceeding in faith, knowing that Jesus is in me. That's the other big piece. He's alive. He's the first. He's the last. He's God in the flesh. And yet scripture says that he's living in me. And so there is this plea, um, before the plea, there's this description. I am the first. I am the last. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And so it's a powerful statement. It points to the deity of Christ. It points to the eternal reign of Christ. That's one of the big, big things that people who don't believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus was made or created. Um, Jesus has always been. It talks about in John again, chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, um, um, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so we see the word being God with God in the beginning from all time. And then the word became flesh. 
And so Jesus is pointing to his divine nature. He's pointing to his eternal reign. He's pointing to his victory over death. And he's pointing that he is the one that brings life. And so the closing, verse 11. Uh, let's go actually to verse 10. He talks about, Do not fear about what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Um, then he says, Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so, um, before we get to verse 11, we hear this, be faithful until death. You know, in Revelation 12, we'll see it later on, the enemy was overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We say that part a lot, that the enemy was overcome by the blood of Christ. We know the authority of Christ and the blood that he shed has authority over sin, has authority over death, has authority over the enemy. But we also know that our testimony and the word of their testimony. But it says something later on that a lot of times we don't say because they did not love their lives to the point of forsaking death. There is a call for us as believers that we are so in love with Christ and so secure in Christ that we don't love our lives to the point that we're afraid of death. And he says, be faithful until death. Whether it's by the hands of an enemy or by the natural prolonging of just living a life where God has given us a greater number of days. Do not be afraid and be faithful until death and we will receive the crown of life. And what's awesome about it is Jesus describes himself as the one who has died but has now come back to life. So even this death in verse 10 is only is only for a, for a moment. The death that we have in our bodies is only for a moment. Jesus is alive and he has promised that he will resurrect as, as he has risen from the dead, so shall we for those who are in Christ. So being faithful until death is like being faithful until, and just knowing that there's going to be a pause. Life will happen again. Resurrection has taken place in Christ and will take place in Christ again in our bodies. And so be faithful until death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so this, uh, this comment of the second death, we see it later on in the end of Revelation that there's going to be this final judgment and that um, people will be judged and um, that there will be those who are sent uh, to an eternal state of punishment in hell, this, this burning lake of fire. And it's called the second death. And so while Jesus isn't saying that the first death won't hurt, it could hurt for those who overcome, for those who persevere, for those who are faithful. He says that they will not be hurt by the second death. And ultimately, we know that's true because, again, Jesus has promised that he will give us what he receives for those who trust in him. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing, baffling statement. To know, it, to know that the very privileges that Jesus receives because of his faithfulness, who he is, and his obedience to the Father, it's applied to me. It's applied to me. Like, that doesn't make sense. 
and yet Jesus freely gives it to us by faith. But our faith must reflect action. We don't gain our faith by works, but we show our faith through works. And so, as the Church of Smyrna was commissioned, and I will remind us as we close, our Jesus is the first and he is the last. He is God in the flesh. He was dead. He was dead for three days, but he's alive. So be faithful unto death. And if you are, you will receive the crown of life. If you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And if you overcome, he who overcomes, they won't be hurt by the second death. Amen? That's some good news. It's good news for me. What if we told more people about it? Let's be loved. Let's be sent. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. We just love you, Jesus. We just pray that our lives might be a reflection of your reign, that you are the first and you're the last, that you were dead and you're alive. May that message live through what we do and what we say. And may others receive it, uh, Lord, that they might know you as well. We love you. Continue to be with Pastor Brad. And we just pray your mercy upon him as well. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. I'll see you guys next week. Take care.